Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's faithfully at work in our mess. I'm your host, Jen Jewell, and whether it's your first time here or maybe you've joined us for all 52 episodes, I personally consider it a massive joy and huge privilege to come together with you here where thanks to technology, our crazy worlds can collide. The Messy Table is a conversation style podcast which airs a brand new episode every other Tuesday. We're partnered with My Church, Life Church, and our sister's ministry, as well as the brave women from all over the globe who willingly offer their unique stories and perspectives so that we can learn and grow. Really, our only agenda is that this will be a place where you can take a deep breath of truth and encouragement as you occupy all your normal places, your home, your office, your local grocery store, your favorite coffee shop. We truly believe there's one name that's above all others, one name that unites us, and that is the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus. Guys, that's why we speak, that's why we share, and that's what this is all about. So no matter where you're coming from, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're facing, even today, you are wanted and welcome in this place. Hey, we also wanna be sure you know about the fabulous YouVersion Bible app, God's Word literally in our pockets in thousands of languages, wherever we go. Our church actually had the honor of creating this app, which has been given away for free over 300 million times. It really is so great, combining modern conveniences with the timeless truth of God's Word. Yet I still meet people who don't have it, who don't even know about it. So get that on your phone or device if you don't have it already. Tell your people to do the same. And guys, let's read the Bible together. All right, y'all, get ready. You are going to absolutely love my guest for today. Kate Merrick is spunky, wise, hilarious, and so full of joy. She reminds me of those verses in Matthew 5 that say, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Guys, in this episode, we're talking about how we met on the other side of the world and about her crazy life before she was transformed by Jesus, and how she can still have defiant joy even after losing her beautiful daughter, Daisy. And now, how her contagious passion has compelled her to write her latest book, Here Now, which will inspire us all to show up for our real, actual lives. So, grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Kate. Ginger, my roomie. Uh, welcome to the messy table. Thank you. So fun. So excited. I tried really, really hard to use it as an excuse to come see you in California, and that didn't happen, and I'm super sad. I am too. Gosh. But it's better than nothing. Yes. So before we jump into all the things, just give everyone a peek into your world. Tell us who you are and what you're all about. Alrighty. Hey, listeners. My name is Kate <laughs> Merrick. I love saying, hey, listeners. Makes me feel fancy. It does sound fancy. I'm pretty sure I'm a middle schooler trapped in a 44-year-old body. <laughs> I really am. Um, so there's that about me. You don't look 44. Let's just be clear. Ooh, I'm sorry. Can I get that in writing? Sure. I need that in writing. Get a transcript for this podcast? <laughs> yes. I'm going to need that. Um, yeah, I'm Kate. I'm 44. That's weird. I never say that. I usually keep that under wraps. Um, <laughs> can you edit that part? Heart, please. <laughs> no, I am married to a man named Britt. We just had our 21st wedding anniversary, which is crazy because, like I said, I'm a middle schooler trapped in an older woman's body. I still feel like I'm 19. It's so weird. Um, we founded and planted a family of churches called Reality. And that started here in Carpinteria, which is about 15 minutes south of Santa Barbara. People are like, what? Where? And so I say Santa Barbara and they go, oh, that's where. And uh, that was 15 years ago that we started that. And right now we've got nine churches and they span from London, England to Honolulu, Hawaii, which is super fun. So fun. Yeah, we love that. Let's see. I'm a homeschool mom, which is, you know, I mean, gosh, all the things you've ever heard about homeschoolers are. I feel like you're not a typical homeschool mom. I, I, okay, that's the thing about homeschool Just moms throw these that out days. There. Thank you. I'm going to say thank you. I think the thing about homeschool moms <laughs> these days is there's a lot of freedom there. So. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, I love it. I love homeschooling. We live on a small ranch. We have miniature donkeys and baby goats, and we surf. We are a surfing family. Um, my husband also makes, other than, you know, church planning and, and leading our church, he makes surfboards for his family business, yes. which is called Channel Island Surfboards, which is like the Nike of surfboards. If you're like, what? Surfboards? I don't know. It's like 
world renowned. It's really, really cool. It's legit. It's super legit. So we have kind of this like funny, you would think that we were just total beach, which we're total beach people. But then my husband loves to hunt and he has a big giant beard and we have a giant camouflage freezer and it's filled with like deer meat and all the things. And, (laughs) you know, like the whole like homeschool lifestyle, my son will literally shoot a dove out of the sky, cut it open and fry it up in a pan. I'm not even kidding you. Well, we're a hunting family. (laughs) I mean, I'm from Oklahoma. So now I wish that I had surfing here. I wish I had the ocean here, but I don't. I feel like you could be a surfer girl. I feel like the two of us. I feel like I could too. Honestly, Kate, Mm. I really do. We got to plan that. So I need to come and visit you and we need to go surfing. I'll teach you how you're you would be so good at it I can just I can feel you're athletic you're little oh yeah it's it's in your blood for sure oh geez okay but let's talk about how you are like the most eclectic mix of so many things you're a surfing church planting granola farmer chick who is also a fashionista and a total babe so just all the things check 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 oh you're funny Kate Merrick everyone Uh, my have a good friend we always say when I show up she goes, Kate Merrick, everybody. <laughs> and when she shows up, I go, Emily Bally, everybody. Like every single time. It's, That's a good friend. Right? That's a great friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like what my kids do whenever they're putting on a little performance, you know? I think yes. everyone should be introduced that way. I do too. I mean, why not, you know? Why not? <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Another weird thing about me since we're like getting to know you, mm-hmm. getting to know me. Yeah, tell us all the exclusive information. The exclusive information <laughs> is that I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, oh, man, I just wish I had 20 more lifetimes. I want to do so many things. I said, I wish I spent more time dancing. Mm. Like, I love to dance. You know, take me to a wedding. I will da- I will pour sweat, like all the things. <laughs> but I said, I wish I did more dancing like choreography in a studio, all the things. So I have been obsessed with the Greatest Showman soundtrack Mm -hmm. and I'm learning a couple of the dances. So that's me in my living room. Now, you know, I love that. I need a video because it sounds kind of entertaining. (laughs) I feel like you could use it as blackmail. I hope that didn't sound creepy. I didn't mean that creepy, but (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking more blackmail. Like, Uh, yeah, you you would put it on the interwebs, but I got nothing to hide. So we're good there. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now, I feel like I remember you telling me, did you and your husband become Christians kind of a little bit later in life? Is that right? Or am I making that up? No, you're not making it up. I can totally tell that story. That's a fun story. Oh, what? You don't have to jump into it. I just was just asking. No, we were like the worst people I mean, we're still bad, but, you know, like you, you can't really quantify sin, but we were really bad. Like, <laughs> Is this that our sins aren't as stinky anymore? Um, gotcha. No, but my husband, he or was. Or as obvious. Or as obvious. Okay, thank you. Yes. Now we, 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 keep, we keep them under wraps now. Yeah. No, he was. He was arrested in high school for selling drugs, like taken off oh, campus yeah, yeah. in handcuffs. I was like your typical not nice girl. Just all the things, all the desperate, you know, drugs, parties, boys, alcohol. Um, I think I shoplifted for a while, drove drunk, like, you know, all the like dumbest things you could ever, ever hope that a teenager would never do. I did them all. And when we were, when I was 18, We started dating. And the first time I ever met him, I was 16 years old and I was ditching school. (laughs) I promise you, I was was ditching school at my friend's house. And he showed up. He had already graduated and he showed up at the friend's house. We were all hanging out for a while. And when they left, one of my friends said, oh, my gosh, that guy is so cute. And I said, which one? And she told me which one. And I was like, no, that guy, that guy's a jerk. No way. Hmm. And it's true. He was a jerk. And so two years, <laughs> fast forward two before years later. Before Jesus, he was a jerk. <laughs> yes. Before Jesus, he was a jerk. Uh, fast forward two years later, we start dating. Uh, I actually called him to find out where all the parties were because my friend told me that he always knows where the parties are. And I said, great, you call him and call me back. And she said, you call him. And I said, what's his number? So she gave me his number. I called him and he kind of tripped out. He was like, wait, what? Because I'd never called him before. And I was a little put off, but then we ended up talking on the phone and he was like so funny and so fun to talk to. And when we hung up, I was like, hmm, 
And so my little teenage girl wheels were spinning. He lived about five blocks away. I got on my skateboard. I put my hooded sweatshirt over my head. I skated down the street to look down his cul-de-sac to see if anyone was hanging out at his house. Because if a friend was there, like, game over, right? I don't want to embarrass myself. But if he was alone, okay, I'm going to put my, you know, feminine wiles into motion here. Look at you. So bold. I know. I'm either a stalker or just super inappropriate. But I'll tell you what, girl, we're married now, okay? (laughs) So what's the the moral of the story to skip school? The moral of the story is go after what you like, okay? (laughs) And that was it. We hung out like every single day. And then we got married four years later. But the cool part is a few months into our dating relationship, we were just crazy. Just, you know, all the things and drags and parties. And we were at a party one night. And he looks over me and he looks scared and he goes, would you ever want to go to a Bible study? He like said it all slow. And you're at a party? We're at a party. <laughs> and he, I look at him and I go, are you a Christian? And he like pauses and he looks all scared and he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I go, me too. <laughs> Were you a Christian at that I point? I thought I was. Yeah, I thought I was because I went to church as a little girl. Kind of believed in God. Oh, yeah. I believed in God. I said the prayer when I was eight. And neither one of us had ever walked with Jesus. But we said the prayer. We went to church as little kids. And so I went, yeah, let's go. And so we went a few days later. And we went to that Bible study every week for seven years. And it took about two years of us going consistently until God just transformed us. And I remember Mm. if I saw it in the word of God, it was like, oh my gosh, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Whoa, Jesus doesn't want you to sleep with anyone you're not married to. Mm. Wow, we better not do that. And I think at first it was like those big, huge shifts and changes that are like, Mm -hmm. wow, we shouldn't, you know, do drugs and, and do all the things. And then it was whoa, this is what love looks like. Wow, this Mm. is how you follow Jesus. Whoa, these are true things. These are, this is how much God loves you. This is how you love someone else well. And it was just the power of the word of God. And we got Mm. so fired up on the word of God. We got baptized and we just started telling everyone we knew about Jesus. And there were these kids down at the beach. So my husband was a surf coach at that time. We were at a surf contest and we brought this kid and we were reading our Bibles on the beach and the, the this guy, he was like 13, came up to us and he was like, what are you reading? And we said, the Bible. And he goes, what's the Bible? And we were like, what? What do you mean, what's the Bible? <laughs> and we spent five hours. We told him everything we knew from Genesis to Revelation. Uh. And God spoke to my husband and he said, there are kids who don't know me and they'll listen to you. You need to start a Bible study. Mm. And so he started a Bible study every week at his parents' house, and I made brownies to get the kids to stick around, (laughs) and he taught through the book of Luke. And these kids were coming and getting saved, and we're buying them all Bibles. That's awesome. Isn't that crazy? So that's kind of how it started. And then he took over the college group at our church, and then, uh, you know, six years into that, God said, no, I want you to plant your own church. So we planted a church, you know, in the next town over, which is our hometown. We were going to church in Santa Barbara. So we planted the church here, and it just keeps going. <laughs> so crazy. That, so that is awesome. Yeah. Isn't that fun? And what I love is that even though it was an extreme transformation, it still happened step by step and little by little. Yes. Yes, it was extreme. And yes, it was step by step. And we always say word by word. Mm. That's how a Christian grows. Yeah. Word by word, not day by day. You can stay in the same place for 25 years or yeah. in two years, you know, you could grow further than that mm-hmm. 25-year-old. Right. You know. And I love how you were just looking at the word like, okay, well, what does it say? And how can I apply that? Just that passion. You know, you probably didn't even know, like, this is the Holy Spirit cutting away things in your life that aren't good for you. Totally, totally. But for us, it was kind of like more of a, hey, this is what a Christian does. This is what a Christian doesn't do. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a full understanding of I think we had realized, oh gosh, this is this is more joyful. This is yeah. a more joyful way of living. This is a better like this is for your joy. Yes. And we couldn't really put words to that, but it was more of the obedience came first and the understanding came later. You know, like you don't fully understand these things. You just say, Well, I don't know, that's what the word says. So let's mm-hmm. let's try that way and see if it works. And it works pretty well. <laughs> Wow. You did have a whole story. I knew that you became Christians a little bit later. You had mentioned that, but I don't know if I had actually heard the whole thing. So that's incredible. 
Yeah, fun, huh? Wow. Okay, so I feel like we should maybe give everyone a little context to how we know each other. I think we before should. Before we kind of go further. So we actually met in a very unlikely place. Mm-hmm. So people don't think this is our typical stomping grounds because it's not. But last summer, we were both actually invited to something called the Tuscany Writers Retreat in actual Italy. Mm-hmm. Like the real one. The real one. <laughs> Someone asked me when I said I was going to Italy, they were like, the one in Texas? <laughs> no, nope, not that one. Oh, ma'am. But it's put on by the fabulous Jenny. Burke, mm-hmm. who's an amazing woman of God, and she's also a literary agent. And uh, she refers to this little retreat as her passion project and has a goal of refreshing and encouraging those kind of pouring themselves out in other ministries. Is that how you would maybe describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, definitely refreshing, um, just immersing yourself in in the Lord, in prayer, in beauty, in all those things that bring life and a brand new perspective, I think. Oh my gosh, such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So totally wild and crazy. But the bottom line is we were roommates. Mm-hmm. Roommates. So I had gotten there a day early because tickets and all the things. Yes. And so when Jen showed up, did okay, now I can't remember. Did you have BO or did I have BO? One of us had BO. I know I had it the day <laughs> I showed up. I don't think it was me, but it could have okay, been. Okay, <laughs> then it was me because I feel like yes, I, remember I remember you were like, I stink. You. I warned you about my pits and I was like, I wanted to hug you. Yes, and I had, yes. I had really bad pits. And so. Yeah, I think that's one of the first things you said to me. <laughs> I think it was, which I am so grateful that you look past that and you're still my friend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your grace. And Here's the deal though. You get to know someone pretty quickly when you're rooming together in foreign countries. So there's really, even though we've only been around each other in person for whatever that was, nine, 10 days, Mm -hmm. I feel like we've been friends for years. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I felt like that after like the first day. Yes, yes. And it's so fun to room with someone who is so fun and friendly like you. Well, right back at you. You know, so, okay, so not only we roomed together in Florence in this, like, mansion in Florence, not even kidding, was so gorgeous. And first of all, I love rooming with someone who's, like, going to tell me all the things, like your (laughs) eyelid primer. I'm like, that is so great. What kind is that? You know, Uh, I know I still need your texture spray. You never sent it to me. Okay, well, I use new texture spray, and so I'll tell you about that. It's called Verb. (laughs) All right. It's by a brand called Verb. You know, like noun, verb, verb. It's so good. Okay. You got to use it. Um, But yeah, that's right. We did the texture spray. You helped me with the eyelid primer. And then when we got to our next place, we were all going to have our own rooms, and we were kind of like, yay, our own rooms. That's so exciting because, you know, we're moms. Like, we haven't been alone. I haven't been alone (laughs) in like 19 years. Haven't peed alone. 18 I don't get to pee alone. I don't get to do anything alone. So I was like, a room alone. And then it turned out that my room was like the only bummer room. (laughs) Well, you were by a bunch of the people with us who are married. I was in the like, yeah, but that room was like, it was depressing. It had low (laughs) ceilings. It was just a depressing room. And I was like, okay, (sighs) I could be depressed or... I could see if Jen and Ashley want to shack up with me. <laughs> so you actually slept in Ashley's room, but I think you put your stuff. We kind of all, we had our own little suite. Yes, we did. It was like college. I never actually went to college. I mean, I went to college, but I didn't move away. I went to like local college. So I felt like for the first time that I was in a dorm and it was amazing. And so I slept in Ashley's room, kept my clothes in your room. That's right. And we put makeup on in your room and we had loud music. And you and brought the dance so parties. Fun. That's right. <laughs> yes, we had dance parties. So, yeah, uh, that's how we know each other. It was so fun. Yeah, and super unique. It was. And, again, just such a gift. So It was. And I have to tell the listeners, Jen Jewel is a jewel. Like, <laughs> she is the most lovely, fun, easygoing friend with the most beautiful smile. Oh, and my she's goodness. so beautiful and so just an encouraging person to be around. So, Kate. I just wanted all your listeners to know that. You're making me blush over here. And fun fact. She wears little kids' sunglasses because she has such a tiny little (laughs) face. (laughs) That's right. 
I know. I get them from Claire's. So, it's you know, so they're like cute. $4 or something. I know. I just, it's the my best. face is narrow. So is mine. And I, but I think you have me beat. Like, I thought I had the narrowest face I knew. But I feel I like you tried on my sunglasses and they looked pretty good on you. Yeah. But I'm going to Claire's. Excuse me. I'll be right back. I'm going to Claire's. <laughs> I don't even know if it's still open. I mean, truly... This is ridiculous. But the last time I went, because I lose and break sunglasses so often, I think I bought like six pair because, you know, again, oh, they idea. were $4. Yeah. And so I haven't even had to go back in a long time. But yeah, <laughs> I will say the only depressing thing about going to Italy is that when you come home and try to have gelato here, it's just not the oh, same. So it's so true. Yeah. Um, but I have not given up eating bread by the pound, I think. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so good. Mm. And the oil. Did you bring home some oil? Yes, I did. From that place <gasps> yes. down the road. Mm. Except uh, I will say I'm kind of savoring it. So I don't want to use it too much because I want to save it. So Same. I, I've just been pouring it on a plate and dipping bread in it because I just want to taste it, you know? Mm -hmm. I do know. So. I do. All right. We should keep moving. <laughs> Let's move forward here. Okay. I told you this before we started recording, but the great thing about a podcast is that we get a snapshot into your beautiful life. Um, but the hard thing is that it is just a snapshot and it's somewhat overwhelming to know, like, where do we even start? Because there's just so much. But you have experienced some of the most heart-wrenching trenches and grief in this world, mm -hmm. yet you somehow are still just such a joyful, amazing person who hasn't lost hope. So if you would, would you just give us a peek into what you've been through and how in the world you're able to keep going? Sure. So we, I told you a little bit about how we were church planting and we had this, you know, we had gone from crazy heathen existence to just walking with Jesus and everything is sunshine and rainbows. And our church was super uh, successful. I just felt like everything we touched turned to gold. For a long time, we had two beautiful kids. I had, you know, one miscarriage in between, but, you know, mm -hmm. we're still moving on here. And one day it was, so I had a, a son and a daughter. My son, Isaiah, was uh, eight and my daughter Daisy was five and it was the third week of kindergarten on a Monday and that is pastor's day off that was our date day because we didn't really go out at night but we love to have a date day we usually go surfing and so we dropped our kids off at school went to our board factory that his family's board factory and picked up a couple boards and we were kind of just hanging around and I got a phone call and on the other line it was my friend who worked at the school and she said Daisy fell down on the playground and she's pretty hurt you need to come and get her and I was really just uh, kind of frustrated like we're supposed to go surfing she's probably fine no big deal it's a day date yeah our date day we're like come on and so we were okay well we'll come and get her and and I'm a pretty easygoing person. I don't know if you can tell. No, you I'm are, like, eh, for sure. she's fine, you know. So we show up at school, and she is in the office with my friend, and she's vomiting from the pain, and she's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. So mm -hmm. we take her into the ER, and we're in the PICU, or, yeah, no, not the PICU yet, but we're in the ER all day. And they're trying to figure out what's wrong with her. There's some kind of internal injury, and... You know, it's taking hours and hours. They're doing all these tests. And finally, hours and hours later, a nurse comes in with a box of tissue and an oncologist. And I didn't even know what an oncologist was at that point. And he looks me in the eye and he says, Daisy has cancer. Mm -hmm. So what was happening was there was this huge tumor growing in her abdomen. And we didn't know about it. And when she fell down, it burst. So cancer cells were spilling into her body. She was on morphine because the pain was so great. And, um, you know, he just looked me in the eye and he said, she has a Wilms tumor. It's a kidney cancer. It's kind of rare. And what's going to happen is there's going to be eight months of chemotherapy and, you know, six weeks of radiation. And there's this whole roadmap for recovery. And he said, but, you know, be encouraged because it's got a 90% cure rate. And so, you know, we're, we're obviously really devastated, but we're just holding on to hope like, okay, she'll beat this. She'll beat this. It's going to be tough, but she'll beat this. And a couple days later, she has this crazy surgery to remove this, the tumor. Mm. She's, you know, it's, it's huge. It was the size of a Nerf football on this wow. tiny little five-year-old girl. She goes through her whole regimen, all the things. She loses all her hair, you know. At the end of it all, she gets a scan, and they say, everything looks good, no evidence of disease. And we're like, yay. So we go to Hawaii. Mm. 
I make it sound like, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, it was awful. It was absolutely, you know, you're, you're afraid of every germ. Someone coughs across the room. And you're again, like, this is a snapshot. We can't get into every single exactly, grueling exactly. detail, but they were there. Just know. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, that cancer came back a month later. And uh, when it came back, it was just more hardcore, more just relapse therapy for cancer is awful. It's mm. like the worst thing. So we're at um, Children's Hospital LA. We're at UCLA. We're doing all the things. And so same thing. She goes through that regimen. And then a month after being clear, it comes back again. And at that point in time, they say, there's nothing we can do for you. We've already done all the relapse therapy. Mm. It had been three years at that point of off and on cancer treatment, mostly on. And so Goodness, we three years, three that's a years, really, really long time, three years. And she had gone from a robust, brave, healthy, crazy little girl to a skeletal, bald, timid. I mean, her spirit was always fierce, always fierce. But her body was so sick, she could barely walk. Mm. It, I mean, it turned her body into a different person. It was just it was unbelievable. During that time, I had started a blog for her, like most cancer parents do. Actually, I didn't start the blog. Some friends started a blog because, you know, the rumor mill, everyone's saying something different. And so we decided, okay, let's keep everyone up to date mm -hmm. on what's happening with her. Mm -hmm. And I started writing on it. Uh, they were writing on it. And then my husband was writing on it. And then one day I looked at what he posted and it was the most depressing post I'd ever seen in my life. And I didn't know that you could take a post down. I thought you had to put another one up to like move it up the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so I started writing on it and I just took it over. I just started writing on it. And that's kind of how I started writing. But um, so we sent out um, my husband has Twitter. He tweets out. I, I'm on Instagram. We're on the blog. All the things that, hey, does anyone know? Does anyone have any suggestions or ideas for alternative treatment? We, you know, they can't do anything else for us. What can we do? And there's a lot of crazy suggestions. But one that came in was kind of our best bet, and it was to take her to Israel. Hmm. There's a doctor there in Tel Aviv who invents crazy cancer therapies, and he was getting some success. So we raise money. We move our family over there, and we just go for it. Mm. We, how long were you there? We were there for three months, and we weren't sure how long it would be. It was really up in the air, so we knew it could be up to 12 months, but we ended up spending three and when we left, we thought, what do we want this to look like? What is this going to be for us? You know, um, like, are we going off the grid? Like, do we want to keep things the way they're going? Things were crazy. And we mm -hmm. thought, you know what? We're leaving our smartphones behind. Mm -hmm. We are shutting down all communication except for a weekly email with our parents so they know we're alive. And we're just not going to have phones. We had these little teeny, like, just-in-case phones that worked in Israel that were just like a flip phone. Mm -hmm. And we just went and sought the Lord. We sought treatment for her, you know, like, just laid it all out. So we were there for three months. It was a crazy time of just learning what it meant to be present, learning what it meant to quiet the noise and to go off the grid and to listen to God. And honestly— like, it was magical and amazing. It was also horrific. Mm -hmm. And you would think, like, oh, did you hear these amazing things from the Lord? Honestly, we were like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Where are you? We were, like, pounding at this glass ceiling. Like, why aren't you saying anything to us, God? Like, what is the deal? She obviously wasn't getting any better. And, we, you know, we were doing these daily treatments in Tel Aviv. And then, you know, we had the weekends off. And. It was so gut-wrenching, but really beautiful and a total gift. And I held out hope to the end. We brought her home. Within weeks, she's got another tumor. I literally was like, hey, God could do a miracle at the last second. I mean, he could do anything. He mm -hmm. could do this. And her body just wasted to nothing. And it just quit working. It just quit working. And she died February 16th. 2013. So we just had our sixth anniversary of um, her home going. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it wrecked me. Like it wrecked me. It didn't wreck my faith. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, that. that's my, that's my biggest mess. I've got a lot of messes, Jen, Joel, <laughs> but that's probably my biggest mess. But the awesome, awesome thing is that God does meet us in the mess. And honestly, like 
kind of a preface to the whole thing is one of the coolest, most imperative things I think we learned is if you're only upset about something happening when it happens to you and not when it happens to other people, then you've got like a theological problem. Mm -hmm. Like like kids die every single day. Every single day, kids die. Cancer, get run over by a car, they drown, all the things. Most kids die in obscurity. My daughter died with hundreds of thousands of people praying for her. Mm -hmm. We had over a million unique visitors on our blog. Like people poured out presents and prayers. We had thousands of people come to her funeral. And, you know, like we're the lucky ones. We're the ones who, wow, I mean, Honestly, so many people knew her. So many people love her. I still get texts from my friends who remember her and they send me photos. And But backing up a little bit, I, I was kind of realizing if I'm only, if my faith changes because all of a sudden it happened to me, there was something wrong with my faith in the first place. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. If I'm like, oh, there's no God only when that happens to me. But yeah. there was a God when that was happening to single moms in Haiti, mm-hmm. and I didn't bat an eye. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Right, right? Because those things happen all the time, and, and you were fine with God before. Right. But when it happens to you, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, what, did God change? Or Which like, it's understandable right? because you're up close and personal with that pain. Mm-hmm obviously your faith is still intact. And you did write a book about that journey. It's called And She Still Laughs, Defiant Joy in the Depths of Suffering. And so, you know, how did you come to a place of defiant joy in the depths of suffering? I mean, obviously you wrote a whole book about it. Yes. You know, you ask those questions, you ask those questions, you cry, you get it all out. You know, I think of the book of Job and how for 37 chapters, he cried, Mm -hmm. he questioned. You know, he told his maybe well-meaning friends to quit blowing hot air. I love the NLT. (laughs) Job is like, when are you going to stop talking? When are you going to stop blowing hot air? Mm -hmm. Because his friends were trying to make sense of it. And Job was just like, man, I am hurting and I wish I was never born. And at the end of the book, God said that Job never sinned in all of that. And so that shows me that grieving is okay. Mm -hmm. And even Jesus himself grieved and that grief has an important place in our lives. And I think as Western Christians, we we like to like spackle over that and put a positive spin on everything. But the reality is everybody has a mess. Everybody has some pain. And when I started really looking in the word, because everything goes back to the word, honestly, it really mm-hmm. does. I realized that all these people that I thought, oh, these Bible heroes, these Bible heroes, they're so amazing. They all had really hardcore, painful lives. And so when you start to equate blessing with a lack of resistance or a lack of anything suffering, that doesn't necessarily mean blessing. And so I think mm-hmm. probably like one of the biggest pivotal things for me was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when she was a teenage girl betrothed to Joseph Mm -hmm. and Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to be mother of Messiah. It wasn't just, hey, this is so fancy and you get to be the queen of the world and (laughs) everyone's going to bow down to you because you're the mother of Messiah. You're so great. There's angels and there's stars and it's glamorous. What it really meant was you're going to have a baby growing in your belly. No one's going to believe you about where that baby came from. Yeah, everyone's going to think you were a hoe. Everyone's going to think you're a hoe. And back then, if you uh, cheated on your fiancé or husband, your father could kill you. Your fiancé could kill you. Like, by law. Yeah. No problem. Wow. And so (laughs) how did she know that they weren't going to kill her? Mm -hmm. How did she know? I don't know. She had faith. So she looks Gabriel in the eye and she says, be it done to me as you say. Like, yes, I am the Lord's servant. If this is what he is asking of me, I will do it. And I'm like, girlfriend had some faith because I don't I don't think she thought it was going to be a cakewalk. She's not dumb. You know what I mean? And so if you think about like her whole first year, think about that pregnancy. Think about how she had to tell Joseph, mm-hmm. hey, man, I'm pregnant. You know, and how he had was like, what? And he was going to divorce her. And then the angel told him, no, it's fine. (laughs) You know, I always think that's so funny. Like if I were Joseph, I'd be like, yeah, you better be sending an angel if this is true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. Such a relief. 
But think about at the well and what all the people were whispering about her. Mm -hmm. You know, they probably weren't being, oh, Mary, she's so amazing. She's Mother Messiah. They're like, "Mm mm-hmm, she's crazy, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, oh, the Holy Spirit, pregnant by the Holy <laughs> Sure. Yeah. You know? And then I think, okay, with the census, they had to go to Bethlehem. Now, Joseph's family is from Bethlehem. Middle Eastern hospitality is like none other. I spent three months in the Middle East. You go to someone's house, they give you food. No matter what time of day it is, no matter if you just ate, they give you food and they give you something to drink. For those people in that town, for nobody to welcome them, hmm. to me that says, no, they shut the doors That's on That's interesting. Face. I hadn't ever mm-hmm. thought of that. Right? Because like there was no room at the end. That's what we read. But we're like, but why? okay, but his family is from there. Why was there no room? I think, you know, and it's like, I know it was the census and everyone, but there were also people leaving town to go to the place of their birth. So it couldn't have been that crowded. So I'm like, wow, she was rejected by her husband's family. They were poor. They were refugees. They had to flee to Egypt. There was some crazy king trying to kill her baby boy. People mocked her son when he was older. I mean, she went through a lot. And ultimately, she watched wicked men torture Mm -hmm. her son and she watched him die the most painful death in front of her eyes and yet Gabriel calls her blessed among women and I'm like whoa hold up that is not a life of blessing right like in my understanding blessing is everything goes right all the time Mm. you have you know a warm house and food on your table and a car that works and cute clothes that's blessing well we often associate blessing with the american dream with the american dream and i was just like okay hang on a minute if god is speaking through this angel and saying that this is blessed this is what blessing is then i'm the one who's wrong and i need to rethink what do i feel about what that means. And so that really like kind of took me on a big tour through the word of like, well, hang on a minute. I thought I was the only one who ever hurt, but it turns out I'm not. You know, you start with Bathsheba. I mean, Bathsheba was taken. Her husband was killed. Her baby died. And yet Mm. she most likely is the one who wrote Proverbs 31. That woman is strong and fierce. You think of Esther. You think she wanted to sleep with some nasty pagan king? No, she didn't. And yet that's where God had her in her life. And she did the thing. She moved forward. She could have just like cried her eyes out and stayed in the harem, but she did the thing that it took to be exactly where God had her. And she saved an entire race from genocide. And so what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing, you know, biblical men and biblical women alike, is that suffering is a common thread. Mm. And not everyone hears all the answers to all their prayers as yes. And the most important person who heard a big fat no was Jesus himself. Right. Even him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like we've all felt that way. And we know why God had to turn his, whatever you want to say, his back, his eyes on Jesus for that moment because Jesus was carrying the weight of the world's sin. Mm -hmm. And if even the son of God Mm -hmm. felt that, we're not alone mm-hmm. in feeling that We're way too. Definitely not alone. And there's a chapter in my first book that I wrote called The Best Me Too. And I have to say that it came out before the whole hashtag Me Too movement. So I was not trying to copy or make a weird <laughs> spin on that. You know, I don't want like people to think I'm downplaying that or I'm copying that. Like it just was, but we all need to hear Me Too. And to hear it from women like Sarah, wife of Abraham, Bathsheba, Mary, mother of Jesus, and to hear it from Jesus himself. Because I, like, that turned a huge corner for me because somewhere in the back of my mind, I was believing that Jesus is up in heaven with his arms crossed. And he's like, yeah, sucks to be you, man. Your life sucks. In fact, he is like, I feel your pain. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to hear no. You know, and but with a greater purpose. With a greater purpose. And and honestly, I think that's where the faith comes in. Like, I have to trust the Lord. I've learned that I don't need to put a spin on anything to save God's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
people die every day. If he chose that that's when he he took her, that's he chose that that's when he took her. Mm. And I got to have eight years with her. Not every woman gets to have a baby. There's listeners right now that you have infertility issues and you're like, hey, I would take a little girl for eight years. No problem. You know, so I think it it brings you back to a place of like, whoa, every breath we have is a blessing. I got right. eight years with her. That's a blessing. It doesn't, mm. there's no guarantee of anything. You know, there's no right. guarantee I'll stay married another 21 years. I'd love to. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee in those things. And I think um, I think most things that happen in this life, we're not going to know the full implications. And I have a feeling that God's going to let us in on it mm-hmm. when um, when we get to see him face to face. But until then, we just trust him with everything. And and I think that we try and make sense of things. But I think we need to be open handed. Like exactly. God never gave right. Job a single explanation Mm. other than pointing to just his power yep he's like okay i have a question for you (laughs) like where were you when i sent the ocean and gave its boundaries and where were you when i sent the Mm -hmm. the lightning and that was good enough and job worshiped and so i'm like when i read that i was like it was actually really comforting because we want answers we we are entitled americans we want answers you know we want justice we want all the things but i don't believe we're going to get them and Mm -hmm. we would do well to say god is god and i am not right and when you say we won't necessarily get answers, we're not saying that this is a blind or naive faith. In fact, God has given us so much to stand on. I mean, yes. the prophecies in his word and creation, and there's so many amazing things, obviously, Jesus and how he came to live and die. And we could go into a whole nother series about that. But we are saying that mystery is a huge part of faith mm. because it does take faith. There's so many examples of this, but, you know, even just in marriage, like, yes, I love my husband and he loves me and we have promised to stay together forever. But the truth is I can't control him. And part of our marriage takes faith, believing that he is trustworthy. And it's really the same thing in our relationship with God. It's so true. But I think that's where the joy comes in, because it reminds me that I am God's child Mm -hmm. and that if I believe that he loves me, I can trust him. And when things, you know, what, like whatever happens in my life, hmm. I can trust him. And there's things that happen that, you know, that's a, that's a result of your sin. Sure. Like if someone's like, oh, I got a divorce, that's God's fault. No, you chose to cheat on your husband. That's your own fault. But the things that I can't control, I can say, hey, God loves me and he loves me well. If hmm. this is what it looks like, I am the Lord's servant, be it done to me as you say, and just trusting him in it. And I think that's how and why I have so much joy is I I just feel this sense of um of trust and just feeling like I'm carried I don't have to worry about it he's worrying about it for me you know what I mean mm-hmm. and just and realizing that I'm not entitled to anything I could drop dead tonight I mean my other kids could drop dead tonight I always think that like whenever my husband leaves the house I'm like look me in the eye look me in the eye mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah because this might be the last time I ever see you well, when you've <laughs> experienced you. death up close you know that it's not only a reality but it it will be for all of us one day Oh, yeah. hundred percent of us died. It's funny. The other day I was saying that the the person at Trader Joe's, it was so awkward. They asked me about my kids and every once in a while I have to like be honest because they're like, oh, how about your middle child? How old is she? I'm like, well, she's in heaven. She would be 14. And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. And I go, oh, it's OK. hundred percent of us die. And they look at me <laughs> like I'm insane. <laughs> oh. I mean, there's really not adequate words. You tell this story and it's like, we all know that this was your reality and that this really happened. And we feel this just immense devastation, but then it also feels surreal. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, man, it's hard to wrap our brains around. Mm -hmm. But your joy and your faith truly does inspire my joy Mm -hmm. and my faith. And I think it's almost like that borrowed courage. You know, I think we can pass Mm -hmm. it on to other people. And I pray that those listening who are in the depths of suffering right now, and it might be you lost a child. It might be that somebody's sick. It might be that you're going through a divorce. It might be just the mundane of having a toddler or of Mm -hmm. your work schedule. I mean, there's so many things that are just hard. Life is not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I pray that they will be able to just cling to that borrowed Mm -hmm. joy of yours and, Mm -hmm. and keep going. 
And I think also I would say to that person real quick is give yourself time to grieve. And if anyone's telling you, hey, you should be over it by now. Like, no, 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 no. Give yourself 37 chapters to grieve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when you're feeling the nudge, when you feel the nudge, I think that is the crossover point. You know, I feel like what what did David do? He washed. He put on his clothes. You know, he wept and prayed for his baby not to die. Mm -hmm. He washed his face. He put his clothes on and then he praised the Lord. So I'm like, okay, you grieve for 37 chapters and then you put on something cute and you worship God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, give yourself some time. So you also have a new book coming out on April 2nd. Is that right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Coming up real quick called Here Now, Unearthing Peace and Presence in an Overconnected World. Mm. We can already feel that tension, right? (laughs) Because we all want that, but goodness, we have to fight for it. So first things first, I want to know, we all want to know what compelled you to write this book. Obviously, we have a few hints (laughs) based on what you've been through, but give us more scoop on what made you write it and what it's all about. Yeah. So I think... Sorry, kind of a big question right there. It is a big question. That's okay. So what compelled me to write it was two things. Number one, I write what I've been learning because it helps me learn it better. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote my first book, it was like I documented my own journey really for my own good because I needed to go back over it. So this is a similar thing where it was like, okay, what did I learn about this thing? And Um, what was that journey to discovery? And I wanted to take it a step further. And so part of the book is kind of going back over what I learned in the first place and then taking it a step further. What does it really mean to practice presence? And so really the catalyst to it was our time spent in Israel, what it was like to go off the grid, what it was like to practice presence. What does it look like? We were like, yeah, this is huge. You go off social media, you turn your phone off, you do all this thing. But then I learned that is good and right but that's just the beginning that's Mm. not you know the main thing and really there's uh it's fun it's it's full of stories and you'll probably laugh you might cry maybe not which is great but (laughs) I'm like kind of tired of being the sad lady I'm like the grief lady you know what I mean but um, right and you're so fun so I can see you feeling that way like okay can we just yeah for being the sad lady, but it's so integral to my story yes, and to yes. my heart. But do you mind if I read a little part of your book real quick? Oh, please. I'm curious to see what you choose. Well, there's like so many things that I have marked. So it's kind of like, what do I read? But as you're talking about Israel and what kind of spurred all of this, which I think this was maybe before you went to Israel, but you're realizing the divide between what's real and what's fiction. Hmm. And you say, my first inkling that something was amiss with my balance and perspective of social media came when we were at a hospital in UCLA harvesting Daisy's stem cells in preparation for her treatments. I was slumped in a slick artificial leather chair by the window. The view was solid concrete in every direction. I had Instagram open on my phone and I sat scrolling through all of my friends' online lives, only seeing the huge divide between theirs and mine. My little girl lay in the sterile hospital bed, bald and listless, while my friend's children frolicked on the beach, long tresses blowing in the fresh air. I scrolled and scrolled while the envy grew more insatiable, and all the while Daisy languished. I finally felt that nudge from God. Look up. Look up from your screen and see what you have. Daisy's still here, and she's as lovely as ever. She's darling and funny and needs your attention. She's all yours, no one else's. For the love woman, look up. And then you kind of go into how you looked up from your Instagram stupor and how you went and sat in her bed and listened to music and did puzzles and basically just an invitation to wake up to your own actual life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, <clears throat> that's what I want. That that was the goal. That's the main goal is God has given each of us a gorgeous life, no matter what it looks like currently. And we check out from it all the time, whether it's on social media or any kind of distraction. I mean, distraction is not a 21st century problem. Mm-hmm. It's just we have to fight harder now because it's like comes and hunts us down. But um, I, I realized, hey, you have this amazing family. You have this amazing life. You have 
all these things, and yet I'm throwing it away. I'm throwing away each moment um, for whatever it is, you know, whatever kind of lesser thing. And I learned really to, to set down the lesser thing so that I can pick up the better thing. And that's what I want my readers to do. I want my readers to learn how they can practice presence. And it's funny because I feel like using those words sounds like you're going to be alone in a room, like in the lotus <laughs> position, you know, with your eyes closed, like humming or something like it's just saying Rocking in this. a corner. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's investing. It's mm-hmm. leaning in. Um, I love Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. Oh, I should have had my Bible open to this. I love this verse. But basically it says that God makes everything beautiful for its own time and that man cannot see the whole scope of God's work. Mm -hmm. So we can't see. I mean, I can see the past, but I can't see the future. But God can. His ways are higher. His ways are higher. We're not supposed to see the whole scope of God's work. I think that's maybe one of the fundamental problems with the question, why? It's not for us to know. And I look back and I think, I am so glad I didn't know. Like, if I had known that she would have made it, would I have done anything differently? Would I have known if I had known that she didn't make it, would I have done anything differently? The thing that God wants us to do is to seek Him. Mm. So He wants us to lean into Him and lean into our actual life Mm -hmm. in every way, shape, and form possible. And that's where the joy comes in because there's all this amazingness that we numb out from Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And, and for me in that, you know, in that time period, I was missing out on my little girl and her days were numbered, mm-hmm. you know, and as I was writing the book, I realized, hey, her days were numbered, but all of our days are numbered. None of us knows just, you know, you don't want to just, okay, well, I'm going to dive into the, to life just if I have cancer or just if my husband has cancer or it's no, no, all of our days are numbered at all times. And yeah. we're not supposed to know the whole scope of God's work. We're just responsible for today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where so much joy comes in because that's when we get to sit back and say, I am God's kid. He is taking care of me. I am going to enjoy this food he gave me. I'm going to enjoy these people he gave me. I'm going to enjoy the earth he made me. I mean, he made the earth and called it good. Mm-hmm. He didn't make the earth until Adam and Eve like, you know what, you guys? Just go to the office. Don't go outside and play. <laughs> like, you should eat some fast food that doesn't even count as actual food. No, he's like, you guys, go play, go frolic, eat all the good food. You know, like, he wants us to do these things. And I realize that that's one of the godliest things we can do is invest in our actual lives. The mm. one that's right here, right now, the one that God gave us. Look it in the face and be like, you're beautiful. You're mine. Let's do this. That's and good. and I'm not saying like, oh, beautiful, beautiful, only when it's beautiful. I'm saying when it's awful. Mm. I'm saying when it's boring. And I'm saying when it's beautiful because honestly— I did a pretty good job of learning to do that and leaning into her, into my daughter, into my life when things were really crazy. But then honestly, after she went to heaven in the last few years and I have this toddler at home and I have this teenager and life is like a little bit mundane and I've got, you know, all these things that's just kind of boring. Like it was honestly a struggle to lean in to the beautiful times in a weird way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, oh, our days are so numbered. Oh, my gosh, we're going to enjoy everything. It was like, our days never end. But then I realized that that is just as faulty as Mm -hmm. sitting in that chair scrolling through Instagram while my daughter's there. And so it's kind of like wherever you are. And I was scared to lean into the beautiful times. I was scared that like it was so foreign to me to have a healthy daughter after losing Daisy. And now I have Fifi. Her name's Fifi, listeners. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's funny. Short for Fiodor with a PH. I mean, supreme gift. But And she's three She's four? four now, yeah. Okay. And she's so cute. I can see her actually jumping on the trampoline outside with my mom. Aww. They're so cute. So I actually think this is super important. It's something that you mentioned in your book. Actually, I think you do a whole chapter on it. And I think it's super helpful because like you're saying, when Daisy was sick, you were all in. You were disconnected from the world. You pressed into the hard stuff. But then now things are back to, I mean, quote unquote, normal, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're still having to fight discontentment. You're still having mm-hmm. to fight the earth to numb out mm-hmm. or to check out. And I thought that was so profound and so insightful because here, you know, obviously 
Daisy has gone to heaven. You had another beautiful little daughter that, of course, did not replace Daisy in any shape or fashion. But, you know, you have another little gift and you're still struggling like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, she's a toddler. She's in my room at 5 a.m. and I'm tired. (laughs) And I think that is so important for everyone to hear, because even if we have the right perspective, it's a constant fight. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. It is a battle worth fighting, though. Yes, yes. And that's why I wrote the book. I'm like, you know what? This is a fight, and we do have to, and it is worth it. Yes. I guess what I was saying or meaning by saying that was just, it's not like a one-and-done thing. Like, Totally. It's not like you tell your spouse, I love you at the altar, and then that's it. And in the same way, we have to continue giving ourselves over to Jesus every single day Mm -hmm. and listening to Him and learning from Him and walking with Him on this adventure, and it's worth the fight. Totally. And sometimes we have to just like— I got to take stock, like what's going on in my heart? Mm. Okay, how am I spending my time, you know? Mm -hmm. And being willing to say, ooh, I got lazy right there. Okay, I'm going to switch that up. Or, you know, and it it, it does, it really takes um, consistent introspection. And Mm -hmm. that's probably one of the hardest parts about it is having to like admit that we're blowing it or, (laughs) you know, or see those things. And I actually have a whole chapter about it. And I, I talk about editing your life. Like, I think that chapter is called kicking butt and taking names. Hey, readers, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because (laughs) it's so funny. You have to read this. Did you read the story about my editor? And you had actually told me about it in Italy. So when I read it, I was like, ah, yes. Okay. Okay. I feel like that's a funny story, but like, I tell a story about my editor and how it looks to get your your manuscript back just covered in red. And you're like, oh, but then when you work those things out and you're willing to edit things, you get a more cohesive, more beautiful story. And really, our lives are a collection of moments, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about birth, we talk about death, and there's all this stuff, but really in between is a collection of moments. And it's it's not just the high points or just the low points. And you don't want to be, you know, identified. Like like I said, I don't want to be identified as a grief lady. Yeah, I'm the grief lady, but I'm also the joy lady. And I'm also the the Jesus lady. And I'm also the work hard lady. And I'm also the, the lady who wants to dance. And I'm also the lady who wants to surf. And the lady who wants to eat the food and do all the things and tell people about Jesus. Like, Those are all the things that make up my life, not just Mm -hmm. one thing. And it's a collection of moments. Those things happen moment by moment. And we can either lean into those moments and build our house. There's a verse in Proverbs. I love it. It says, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And I thought that our lives are like that house that the book of Proverbs is talking about, that we can either build a beautiful life or we tear it down with our own hands. No one is tearing it down for us. We do that ourselves. And so what do you want to do? Do you want to build it up or tear it down with this collection of moments from beginning to end? And part of that is getting rid of some stuff and getting honest, looking at ourselves and being like, oh, I'm blowing it there, you know? And Right. um, And that's a good point. We are not after perfection. We are not after a legalistic ideal. Like, that's ridiculous. That's not what we're after. So you guys made some huge drastic changes, obviously, when you were in Israel. Mm -hmm. But then when you came back, And even now, I know that you guys have quite a few things in practice that help you practically put these things into place. Yeah. What are some things that you guys do that are different than the social norm? Okay. So we don't have Wi-Fi at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never want to sound like the holiest lady on the block because I'm absolutely not the holiest lady on the block. I have an iPhone with a data plan. So I can shop online. I can pay my bills. I can do all the things. Uh, we just can't stream videos. And it's just not an endless access to the Internet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you just set up a little bit of boundaries and says, hey, this place, this is our sacred space. This is Right. That's really what it is. It's setting healthy boundaries. Yes. Healthy boundaries. And in the book, I liken it to being on a diet because if there's a chocolate cake in my house, I will eat the mm-hmm. entire thing. I right. will eat the entire thing. <laughs> Me too. If we have endless Wi-Fi, we know ourselves. We're like, well, we're going to binge out on Netflix every night. That's not the way I want to live. That doesn't fulfill me or bring me joy. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, like, that. that's not life-giving for right. me. You're saying this is what you do that helps you. This is what I do. And I do. I love to read and all the things. So we don't do Wi-Fi at home. Um, you know, limited data. 
I never went back on Instagram. I think my account exists still. It does because I think I looked. Oh, at did some you point. look? Yeah. Is it private? Because I'm the heathen that's on Instagram. So <laughs> you're not heathen. <laughs> I'm just hey, I've been known to cyberstalk. I'm not gonna lie. I cyberstalk <laughs> sometimes. But I know myself. If I went back on it, I would just be scrolling through. I would be feeling envy. I would be feeling all these things that I don't want to feel. And we've had conversations like, do we go back on social media? Are we going to do this? And right. Britt was never on Insta, but he was on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I, we came to the conclusion, I came to the conclusion, I cannot have a pure heart about it. I cannot have an Instagram account and either not waste time, not judge, not feel envy. But I think for me personally, what makes me feel the worst about it is that all of a sudden it takes away from the, the loveliness of my life mm-hmm. because all of a sudden I wish I had her life right. or her, right. you know, whatever. When you're judging some. your raw life against their filtered life. And so it's not real anyway. Totally. You have to draw those Mm -hmm. lines. Otherwise, you end up pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and having no time for yourself, for your family, for Jesus, for all the things. It's just not physically possible. Mm -hmm. And so what gives me the hives is that like anyone could just find me or get a hold of me and then ask for my attention. And either I would feel awful for saying, no, I can't talk on the phone or you know, for ghosting that person. Because if, if you have to ghost a person, I mean, that happens sometimes. So I think that gives me the hives as being so easily accessible. That's another reason I stay off of social. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not completely unavailable. I have a blog. And if you email me on my blog, I email back every single person who emails me. Mm-hmm. I pray for every single person who emails me. It's, so now we're all going to go email you. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. And you know what? Listener, if you're like, I want to email you, email me. Yes. Yeah. It's more that you're just, again, you're setting boundaries. Yes. There will be as much communication as we allow. Eh. And it, I mean, you know, like whatever we let in, like that's on us. Like, well, I asked for it, you know, like I put myself out there or whatever. Yeah, that's not convicting at all. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> I know. It's so hard because part of me worries, and this is funny because it's just like worrying about how I come off, but part of me worries as coming off as a jerk because everyone is accessible these days, every single person. And I'm like, but I don't want to be accessible. And it's not because I don't love everybody, but I can't carry a relationship with each one of right. them. That would just be crazy. But I never want to come off as a jerk, but you have, you take that risk. You're not it's saying not I'm too it's good or I'm more important. No. That's not your heart. It's saying, I mean, and we all should be saying this, like I yeah. need to set boundaries in my life to be present for the life that God has given me. Yes, for the actual life that he's given me. So um, so one last thing about the book is that, like I said, it's a journey to discovery and it's just my story. But my story is meant to encourage you, the reader, to look into your own story. And like I said, it's not a deprivation thing. It's not a judgmental thing. It's not... Um, Something you need to feel ashamed or bad or, oh, I'm just, I'm blowing it. It is a joy thing. It is a, hey, God wants to be with you thing. It is a, hey, you are going to be with your people. And it's written, I don't care if you're married, if you're single, if you're old, if you're young, it is relevant to you. It is relevant to your story, whether you are home with toddlers or if you are a career girl and you're spending your time on the subway, if you are fighting for social justice, if you are working at McDonald's, I mean, all those things, Mm -hmm. it is totally relevant for you because that is your one beautiful life. Mm. And just a final encouragement is, You are here for such a time as this. I love what Mordecai says to Esther in the book of Esther. He says, hey, when she's like, man, I can't tell the king. He could kill me. And and Mordecai says, hey, maybe you're here for such a time as this. And I believe that to be true of each one of us. We are here for such a time as this. Do not wait for the next season of your life to do that thing you wanted to do to, uh, oh, I'm really going to get serious about the Lord. I'm really going to get serious about my relationships or I'm going to be a better mom or I'm going to be a better this or that or whatever. 
You are a student for such a time as this. You are a nanny for such a time as this. You are a wife and a mom for such a time as this. You are childless for such a time as this. No matter what you're doing, that's where the Lord has you. And lean into it. If it's grief, hey, lean into those 37 chapters of weeping. And God is going to do something in you. God is doing something in us in all seasons of our life there is a time for everything and we are only responsible for today and so whatever that looks like for you whatever you could lay down so that you can pick up something better if it's laying down your social media efforts you know putting boundaries on netflix or hey i'm just you know i'm gonna put keep my communication you know in this in this box and it's gonna be okay or if it's I need to move my body or if it's I need to eat better food or I need to share food. I'm going to cook for someone else whatever it is I want you to lean into your one beautiful actual life and truly truly believe that just like Esther made history God is writing each one of our histories Ooh, preach yes yes <laughs> yes I am so thankful for you, friend. I'm so glad that Mm. God allowed our paths to cross. And I'm so thankful that you came on to share a piece of your story. Likewise. Thank you for having me, Jen. I love you. I love you, girl. I'm coming to see you sometime. Yeah, you are. (laughs) I'm going to get you in the water. I got a wetsuit for you. It's cold. Guys, thank you for being here. Even as you're out running errands or changing diapers or working out or meeting deadlines like a boss. We are praying, as always, that God will take these words and these stories and do what only He can do. You can find all the information on Kate's book in the conversation notes on my website at jenjewel.com, where you can also join my email list, which I believe is the best way to stay connected, and you can be the first to know when a new episode goes live. You can also find The Messy Table on Instagram and subscribe for free in all the usual places like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. And last but not least, as you go about your week, remember, Yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.